0: but for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Evolution Exposed Exposed series, recorded May 28th, 2021, titled The Bible Isn't a Timeline, featuring Dr. Joshua Bowen.
1: We are putting on a conference called Evolution Exposed. We pulled in experts on the subject of evolution. For a total of 11 speakers. And gave them just 15 minutes to give us their best. And on top of all that, a one-hour Q&A panel session. You're going to love Evolution Exposed. Anyone can refute evolution. Due to the zoo to me and you. All that a fairy tale. I'm not allowed to ask questions. It made evolution look ridiculous.
0: That was the foolishness of atheism. I yeah.
1: knew I was going to get corrected.
0: No, I wasn't even listening to your answer, uh, <laughs> Eric. This go? guy might be
1: coming for you.
0: Welcome to Apologia, and another installment of Evolution Exposed Exposed. Our claim-by-claim investigation of the Creation All-Star Mega-Seminar. If you'd like to catch the series from the beginning, tap on the playlist above my head. The next speaker up in the cavalcade was Brian Osborne.
1: And we're going to deal with the issue of the age of the earth. My job for the Ministry of Answers and Genesis is a speaker.
0: Regular viewers of this channel may recognize Brian as one of the members of the Answers in Genesis Answers News B-Team. Brian and Avery are part of what we call the B-Team. Yeah. Whereas for myself and Bodie and Dr. Perdom, we're the A-team. Correct. So how do we as Christians
1: understand this issue of the age of the earth in now 14 minutes, all right? Well, if we do something radical, if we start with the Bible.
0: Now Brian and his team frequently chastise the conclusions of scientists as merely one possible interpretation of the data.
1: That's really kind of showing you where they're kind of importing their worldview. And it's so important, we say this all the time, that you separate the facts from the fictional interpretation.
0: Right. But you see this with evolutionary articles, as we said, all, the, all time. the time. But at the same time seem to fail to acknowledge that the Young Earth Answers in Genesis narrative is merely one possible interpretation of the Bible.
1: If we trust the eyewitness account of the Creator Himself in the plain, straightforward reading of the biblical text...
0: I suppose my first question would be,
2: what do we mean by a plain, straightforward reading of the text? For example, in Psalm 42, 3, we read... My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? What would the plain, straightforward reading of this psalm be? If we were to read this literally, we might come away with the idea that David is actually eating his own tears as they run down his face. Of course, we all recognize this as poetry, so our plain, straightforward reading would take that into account. So when we come to the Bible, we need to do our best to recognize the genre of the text that we're reading, especially if we don't use that particular genre today.
1: Is that God created in six days, roughly 6,000 years ago. In our current scientific cultural climate, even many Christians today would say, but wait, how do you know that you know, the earth is 6,000 years of age? The Bible doesn't explicitly say that, and it doesn't, but it gives us something better in a sense. The Bible gives us a birth certificate of sorts, a way to calculate the earth's age with the data we find in God's word. In particular, we're talking about those biblical family trees in the Bible. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so.
2: Ancient people knew how to calculate time. During the second millennium BCE, for example, you can see that administrative and legal documents and sometimes even school exercises are dated with the day, month, and year of their writing. Each year was given a specific name that spoke of some great achievement that the king had performed that year. For example, the year that Hammurabi built the temple for the god Nana in Babylon. In other words, they knew what time it was. So it's not a question of whether they had the ability to accurately calculate the passage of time. The question is, what's the text doing? A good example, for our purposes, is a famous text known as the Sumerian King List, which dates at least back to the third millennium. Let me read you a short excerpt. After the kingship descended from heaven, the kingship was in the city of Eridu. In Eridu, Alulam became king. He ruled for 28,800 years. Alalgar ruled for 36,000 years. Two kings, they ruled for 64,800 years. Then Eridu fell, and the kingship was taken to the city of Bad Tabira obviously believer and skeptic alike, will read these lines and immediately conclude that we cannot simply take those numbers and reconstruct history. There was a belief in the ancient Near East that those who lived in the distant past had exceptionally long lives. We can't simply take these numbers at face value and reconstruct the history of events based on such data.
1: But in some of those genealogies... Like in Genesis 5 and 11, he gives you the age of the father when he has his kid, and then the kid's age when he has his kid. And you can add those ages up. It's pretty straightforward math to get a good general age for the earth.
2: Well, if the earth was created by God in 4000 BCE, this chart poses some real problems. If the flood is supposed to have happened 1,656 years following creation, that places it around 2344. Now, why would that be a problem? Well, we know a fair amount about the history of that period and it doesn't line up in the slightest with a worldwide flood. During the first half of the third millennium, and this is just in Mesopotamia, we have actual physical documentation concerning things like conflicts between individual city-states, complete with administrative records and royal inscriptions. The most famous is perhaps the border conflict between the cities of Uma and Lagash in southern Mesopotamia, which is between the years 2350 and 2340. After years of conflict, a ruler named Lugalzagesi came to power, but he was quickly ousted by the famous king Sargon of Akkad, who founded the old Akkadian Empire in the second half of the 24th century. In other words, at the time that the worldwide flood, according to this chart, was sweeping over the earth, Lugalzagesi was reigning and would soon be overthrown by Sargon, who established the first empire in the region. Now, I'm no geneticist, so I can't speak with any authority here but it seems to me that a bottleneck at 2344 with Noah's family would make it incredibly difficult, on this point alone, for the world to be repopulated in, at most, 20 years, allowing Sargon to establish his empire. This, of course, leaves aside the gigantic problem of the record of documentation that we have preserved and the complete absence of any evidence whatsoever that the entire world and all humanity, save for eight people, were destroyed in the middle of the third millennium BCE.
1: So doing that, we know from Adam to Abraham is roughly 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus is roughly 2,000 years. And then from Jesus to us today, roughly 2,000 years. Put that all together, Earth is around 6,000 years old. Now, we don't think you can be exact and say 4,004 BC, at 8 o'clock in the morning, right? We do know that Adam was made in the afternoon because it was just before Eve. Knowing
2: when Adam was created is nothing. <laughs> we knew who the shortest man in the Bible was. Bill Dad, the shoe height.
0: tough crowd.
1: And some would say, well, okay, Brian, well, that makes sense. But then wait a minute. How do you know those days in Genesis are regular 24 hour days? That's a good and fair question. And there's a good biblical answer. In a word, the answer is exegesis. And this is how we're supposed to read the Bible exegetically. This means to read out of, it means you read a text in its context. Because context determines meaning, common function language.
2: I could not agree more. Whenever you're dealing with the text of the Bible, proper exegesis is critical. You have to understand the passage in question in its wider context. Unfortunately, this can easily move from exegesis to harmonization, which is taking other verses and passages that are outside of the context of the original passage and using them to reinterpret what the original passage says. For example, the laws in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15 say that Israelites are allowed to have fellow Israelites as slaves. However, when you get to Leviticus 25, you find out that the law no longer allows Israelites to enslave fellow Israelites. Now, how do you handle such a contradiction? If you see these passages as reworkings and later developments of one another by different writers, then there is no problem. However, if they were all written by Moses, the common fundamentalist view, then they must all somehow agree. Thus, interpreters will often try to harmonize the passages, looking for ways to make it both allowable and illegal to own Israelite slaves. This type of harmonization between conflicting passages can lead, obviously, to interpretations that were not intended by the writers.
1: Then what does the word day, the Hebrew equivalent, which is yom, what does it mean in the context of Genesis chapter 1? Because the word day does have multiple meanings. Quick example, in this one sentence, Back in my Father's Day, it took 10 days to drive across America during the day. You see day three different times, one sentence, it means something different each time it's used, and you know it does based on the context, right? Context determines meaning. So here's the question. When does the context in the Old Testament always demand that we understand the word day as a literal 24-hour day? Well, guys, anytime we see any one of these contextual clues, it's always a literal 24-hour day. Genesis 1, verse 5, first day of creation, the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning, the first day. That's about as clear as it can get, isn't it, for being honest? Notice for every day of creation. Evening, morning, number day. Evening, morning, number day. Evening, morning, number day. It's literally contextual overkill.
2: I agree that Genesis 1 is speaking of regular days rather than extended or indefinite long periods of time. Of course, I think that this is far more problematic for a strictly literal or scientific interpretation of the text It should be clear that the reason so many Christians have wrestled with the meaning of day in this passage is due to what we know about the history and development of the world. How can Genesis 1 be an accurate representation of what transpired in history, on this understanding, if we know that the earth took billions of years to come to its current state?
1: Plus, there are lots of really good Hebrew words that mean an indefinite period of time, that God could have used if that's what he wanted to say. He used none of those. He used the word day, based on the context, 24-hour day. The text is really, really
2: clear. If there's no question that the Old Testament is a complicated group of texts, it can be difficult for Christian and skeptic alike to get a clear understanding of the different genres that appear in its pages. I actually just published a book entitled The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, which is specifically designed to help the atheist and skeptic to understand the storyline of the Old Testament, as well as the actual history of the ancient Near East. I even have a chapter on archaeology, how it works, and what it tells us about the Old Testament. Spoilers, archaeology very often disagrees with the Bible. The book also has chapters on specific topics that are frequently debated, including Did Moses Write the Pentateuch?, Slavery in the Bible, the dating of the book of Daniel, and the failed prophecy of Ezekiel 26. I hope that it will be a useful resource for debates and discussions on the Old Testament between atheists and Christians.
0: The book comes out today so whether you're a believer or a non-believer get your copy of the atheist handbook to the old testament now just like i have and we'll be using it as a valuable resource for years and many videos to come and speaking of videos to come next time on evolution exposed exposed brian will be delving straight into the heart of the matter
1: if we can't trust what Genesis 1 clearly says why trust john 3 16. if you can't believe one part of the bible trust any other part
0: that was a critical question in my faith journey and i'm excited to hear and present what other christians think see you over there later